0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Friday the 13th of September, 2019, and this is episode 113. Today, autonomous vehicles and the real estate industry. Will AVs be playthings only for the rich and famous? And Tesla begins its long-awaited deployment on a very small scale of its hardware version 3.0. All this, right now. Real quick, don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, head on over to markhoag.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G. There's a link in the top right corner. Click it, tap it, submit the form, I'll get back to you if there's a good fit. Also, if you'd like to be an advertiser on this podcast, of course, you can continue to go through the Anchor.fm platform, which is great. On the other hand, if you'd like to work and collaborate with me on updating and revising and indeed re-recording each ad spot every time I record an episode, we can arrange that as well. Just shoot me an email, mark at markhoge.com, find me on LinkedIn, and we'll we'll have a chat about it. Meanwhile, don't forget to follow me on all social media at AutonomousHogue, A-U-T-O-N-O-M-O-U-S-H-O-A-G. All right, let's dive in and get started. So, real estate. We've discussed a bit about many other industries, and most notably, most recently, in the last episode, actually, the insurance industry. Um, This is, of course, a pretty important thing to discuss, and I think it's something that gets a bit overlooked. It's really the profound impact, the huge change that the autonomous car industry is going to have on real estate generally. So... I guess what we have discussed in the past, and therefore I won't get into too much right now, is things like of course, autonomous vehicles will effectively change the way in which cities are designed. We'll have more, you know, pedestrian friendly zones and free space, uh, thanks to the removal of parking garages and such things. Um, I guess in one episode quite a while back, we discussed how buildings themselves, even lobbies, would be entirely. We would be designed in an entirely different style altogether to accommodate the influx of autonomous ride sharing, for instance. Um, but at any event, um, we've also talked a bit about how commuting will just no longer really be a thing, right? Because for better or worse, um, it's not going to really matter how you get from a to B, or I should say how long it's going to take to get from a to B. Um, I have also said a few times in the past that having experienced cars with semi-autonomous driving, uh, like my wife and I have, uh, it's true. You, you kind of don't care as much about traffic anymore. And this is of course, well, it's kind of a blessing if you can, if you can afford to think that way, um, where you just don't mind getting in your car and you switch on your lane keep assist and your adaptive cruise control and off you go and stop and go traffic. You know, it really takes a tremendous amount of stress off the journey. It really kind of makes what was once a deeply frustrating thing. I mean, if not pleasant, well, certainly not bothersome either. Um, and, and so the net result has been that, yeah, I, I do find myself tending to go more places just because it's less annoying. So so if, if you kind of extrapolate this out, then of course the concept of commuting is indeed again, for better or worse, effectively going to go out the window. It just, it's going to be less of an issue. People won't care as much. People are already willing to drive and stop and go traffic for an hour, hour and a half, which is just outrageous. Um, and going forward, once people have easy access to autonomous cars, well, this will become even more common still. In fact, arguably, it'll become preferable to have longer commutes in a car so You can get more work done in the Peace and tranquility, say, of your own little autonomous pod car. Maybe you watch a movie, take a nap. I mean, this, when you think about it, this, this actually could end up being one of the preferred places to be, if not your own home, than frankly just in this autonomous car on the way to work. Thinking about this just a little bit as an aside, I know that one of my, one of the, one of the great joys that my wife and I have living here in San Francisco is the commute by ferry boat from here in Marin County to to San Francisco. I mean, it's genuinely, and I think just without any possible contention whatsoever, it has got to be the greatest commute in the world. You hop on a boat and you have this spectacular 25-ish minute cruise across San Francisco Bay. Never mind that it's super pretty. There's no traffic apart from the occasional feeding frenzy of seagulls or seals. Um and indeed even the occasional whale. But besides that, I mean, it just couldn't be more pleasant, especially at the end of the day, you hop on the boat, kick back on the top deck, overlooking the bay, enjoy enjoy a nice cold beer, and what a great way to ring in the weekend on a Friday evening. It just doesn't get any better than that. Um, in fact, sometimes we complain that the commute's too short. We actually wish it were longer. And, and that's kind of my point. That's where I'm going with this, right? And so... Again, this is a real this is a blessing, at least superficially, but as we've discussed many times, I won't get into it again now. There is of course this issue of therefore increased traffic, um, which is not good. But that's not what I want to talk about here now today. What I do want to talk about is real estate specifically and where kind of this is all headed. What does this all mean for the real estate market generally? Well, um I think it means a great deal, actually. So again, thinking a bit insularly about our life here in the San Francisco Bay Area where as many of you surely know we have a massive catastrophically tragic housing shortage never mind why depends whom you ask but suffice to say there is a massive housing shortage and you know the the the, the real estate prices here have effectively catapulted the Bay Area to essentially a billionaire's playground where most people are renting for the rest of their lives with roommates mind you um or you know it's just, it's not a realistic place to be you you're, you're going to have to rent the rest of your life chances are you're not going to buy and it's just it's not sustainable um alternatively even if you are able to find somewhere further away to live so that it's you know a bit less expensive well the problem then is You've got just impossibly awful commutes. Remember, this is not, contrary to popular belief, the public transit system here is really not that good. In fact, unless you're in the city itself, or anywhere directly on the BART. That's our high I was gonna say high speed subway. It's not it's not really high speed at all. Um, but unless you're directly on the line, you're you're just you're gonna have a massive awful commute. So so it's like you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, if you're too close, it's too expensive. If you're too far, it's too long, and it's just it's just not it's not a pleasant thing. Um, what's interesting though is that when you imagine a future of autonomous vehicles, there's no longer going to be a stigma associated with commute, getting from say the suburbs into the city. Um, and thinking even a bit further down the road. Um, you imagine a time where autonomous cars are so well-developed that they can also sort of platoon down freeways. So they're traveling really, really quickly. Um, not 70 miles an hour, but say something in excess of a hundred miles per hour. Well, now you can imagine a, re- a scenario, a reality where you can live as far away as say Sacramento, which for those of you who don't know the area, we're talking typically an hour and a half, maybe two hours drive without traffic. But this could be accomplished now in maybe an hour to an hour and a half. But again, because you're just sitting there enjoying the drive, you know, it doesn't really matter how long it is. Again, this might be a preferable place to be. So now more people are going to move to these suburbs and they're going to be able to to live further from the city. But this in turn is going to start driving up the cost in those suburbs, right? I mean, unless I'm missing something here. I mean, if the demand goes up and if more people go there, and eventually there isn't enough supply to keep up with demand once again. I mean, granted, there's much more room. There's literally more land, effectively unlimited land to build up outside the immediate peninsula of the San Francisco Bay Area. I get that. But nonetheless, if you have increased demand and if supply doesn't keep up, basic economics say, prices will go up, right? So I can imagine a future we end up with this weird paradox where People are fleeing the city because they want to look for lower prices, but now because of autonomous vehicles being able to shuttle people from A to B much more quickly, more safely, to the extent that people don't mind that commute, because so many people are relocating to the suburbs, well, now the prices are going up, effectively ruining the very reason for which people moved to the suburbs in the first place, which is, of course, to save money. So... I mean, am I I missing something here? Like, this seems like it could potentially, it it could almost potentially be a bit of a disaster, right? Because, I mean, I'm just trying to think this through out loud, as you can tell. Um, Living within a city will likely always be expensive, because I think in general there's going to be much more demand than there is supply. This is just a fact. I don't really see that changing, but... Living in the suburbs, if those get more expensive as well, then how is this all going to play out? I mean, thinking a bit more about it, I suppose one thing to consider is that in this future, which is admittedly, let's say, I don't know, 20, 30 years out, um, I suppose most people will not be owning their own car at that point, in which case that will, of course, save them on on costs generally, but I still see the, the the real estate pricing just start to skyrocket. I don't know. I'm really curious to hear some thoughts. If anybody has any insight into this, ooh, I have an idea. I am actually going to reach out. Hmm, I don't even know if he listens to this podcast, but Mr. Jordan Beal, my former law school buddy and uh, massively successful founder of Beal Real Estate down in San Diego. If you're listening to this, we should totally do an episode on this together. I will uh, reach out to you and uh, see if this sounds like fun. Um, To anybody else with any insight, any input, any suggestions, ideas, you know how to reach me. So there's a great uh, article over on Forbes by frequent contributor Lance Elliott. He's a former professor of both UCLA and USC. And actually, Lance if you're listening, we've had the chance to connect briefly on LinkedIn a while back. Um look, this is a really fantastic article. I, I I like it quite a lot. Um I suggest you give it a read. It's titled Will only those with wealth and fame have access to self-driving cars. And it's a really good question. Um And it's a really important question about equity in so far as well to the point of the previous episode the inexorably growing divide between not just rich and poor, but indeed middle class and the hyper wealthy. I mean, and all the impacts and implications, at least here in the US, which is decidedly, uh, which has a decidedly broader income gap than most, if not all developed countries in the world. This is a really big thing. And so if we have this deployment of a radical new technology, in the form of autonomous vehicles, this could indeed produce a really terrible further shift in equity amongst people in the country or, and indeed in the world, if if it ends up being the case worldwide, that they're really just playthings for the hyper-wealthy. So yeah, just thinking about this out loud a bit. So so imagine if, say, cell phones were the sort of technology, because when you think about it, this is not really that big of a stretch, right? I mean, honestly, if you showed a cell phone to somebody mm, 20 years ago, you know, the power of an iPhone XS Max or the new 11 in your pocket. I mean, as somebody once said, sufficiently powerful technology is effectively indistinguishable from, uh, from from magic, right? I mean, this would just blow everybody away. So I don't think it's really that inconceivable to imagine that it may have been the case that technology like cell phones may have been limited only to the hyper-wealthy. Now, admittedly, when computers first came out, I guess one could say its it, it, it kind of was that way, but not really. I mean, I remember as a little kid, my, my dad, he got for us the very first IBM PC XT. Look, they were super expensive, but they weren't impossibly expensive. I mean, if you came from a middle-class family, you could probably get a computer. This, you know, this is a fact. And indeed, many such families did get the first computers. Um... But here, the, the concern of the article is, is whether autonomous cars will be restricted, really, to just the hyper-wealthy. So, so, so it seems to me we're talking about, like, you know, celebrity status, and, and only the tech founders, the Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates of the world and that kind of thing. Um, because this would effectively destroy the, the, the beautiful vision, really, of, you know, as, as Lance Elliott says here in his article, at the, stop, at, the, at the top of his article, it would really destroy this beautiful vision of so-called mobility for all. You know, as we've discussed quite a bit in the past, the notion, the, the incredible freedom that autonomous vehicles would bring for folks with disabilities, say, or the elderly, or those who just can't or prefer not to drive. I mean, this is a really beautiful future when you stop to think about it. You kind of disconnect from all the logistics, the technicalities, the the hurdles, regulatory, technologically, or otherwise. So, So if we can imagine a future where these autonomous vehicles are indeed restricted only to the hyper wealthy that's a really sad thing to imagine again just imagine if iPhones and Android phones and Macs and PCs couldn't be could never have been acquired by well everybody so in general as i say i really like the article dive in and give it a read here's my critique though here's here's where i sort of take issue with it I think that the concern, I think the discussion is a, although it's valid, I think it's not particularly realistic. I'm not actually that concerned that this reality could could come true. I don't see a future where autonomous cars will be restricted to the hyper-wealthy, if only because, for the near term anyway, meaning the first generation, the first deployment of autonomous cars, as we've said in the past... They're not even going to be for sale. You and I, the hyper-wealthy, anybody, will not be able to just walk into the newest car dealership and buy a fully autonomous car. Yes, you'll be able to get a level 2 car, level 3 car as you do today. But once you reach level 4 and above, I strongly doubt that you'll be able to walk into a dealership and just get one for yourself. Alternatively, it is possible that this may indeed be available only to the hyper-wealthy, but not at the exclusion of availability to everybody else. It's a roundabout way of saying, just look at Tesla, right? So what did Elon say Really, just a few months ago, right? He said that, you know, get your Model 3 now because eventually, in a few years, they're going to be worth something like a few hundred thousand dollars. Um. You, the idea being that Tesla wants to only enable Model 3s for their Tesla autonomous vehicle fleet, right? And so if you're leasing a Model 3 today, you won't even have the option to buy it at the end of the lease. You're going to have to turn it back in to Tesla. You cannot hold on to your leased Model 3. And so what Elon has said is is that going forward, if you haven't yet bought your own Model 3, well, chances are, unless you're willing to drop 200K on a Model 3, which is outrageous considering they cost what, realistically, 40 or 50K now? Maybe 60 fully loaded? So unless you're willing to drop 200K on a Model 3, chances are you will only be um, getting in a Model 3 that you've summoned through Tesla's autonomous vehicle taxi network. Uh, Unless you've already bought one now, that is. So, So, yeah, I think that's probably the most realistic outcome, where, first of all, any company which has which has ready for public consumption, any sort of autonomous vehicle level four and above, the general rule will be you, you can't buy one at any sort of reasonable price and that they are indeed meant for ride-sharing fleets and services like the Ubers and Lyfts and many more besides that'll be springing up like tax, like uh, Tesla's taxi fleet, for instance. And this makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously, as mentioned in the article this doesn't mean that if you really, really wanted to buy one and if you had 200k to throw away out of Model 3, okay, sure, probably the the company would allow you to buy it, regulatory approvals notwithstanding. But suffice to say, the general rule would be that you will not be buying these things anytime soon. And this kind of segues neatly out of the prior segment, right, with respect to real estate and commuting, because we have to assume this future world where people do not, in fact, own these cars. Not to mention, at least in the... More imminent world for the next several decades where we have level four cars, but decidedly not level five cars, never mind what Elon says. You, there's going to need to be a much higher standard of care to ensure that people are able to adequately control, monitor, and take over these cars when the human driver needs to take over. Yes, in the optimally developed and deployed level four car, the handoff from vehicle to, um, from vehicle to driver will be uh, pretty seamless, meaning there will be enough time to, to to wake you from your nap or distract you from whatever it is you're doing. Studies have shown this can typically take 30 seconds or longer. But, but even so, this is going to require a lot of training to make sure people have got the hang of this and that really our mental state is much more shall we say responsible, finely tuned. But if, but again, as an aside, this is sort of a weird paradox, right? Because the whole point of an autonomous car is that you shouldn't have to be more uh, in tune. You shouldn't have to be more focused. You should be more relaxed. That's the weird thing. And I actually, I just read something about this this morning. It said something like, if you look at a level two or level three car, in the worst case scenario, it just doesn't work. And in the best case scenario, it works great, in which case it's more dangerous because you pay less attention. If that sounds familiar, it's because you might remember probably a year ago, I don't know when, I, I mentioned how I had the chance to drive a Tesla Model 3. Um, was it an S? No, I think it was a Model 3 uh, for about an hour, at about 11 o'clock at night from Palo Alto up to Marin County. So so not just to San Francisco, mind you, but through the city, across the Golden Gate Bridge into Marin County. So it's quite a long drive. And I used autopilot nearly the entire way. And relatively early on during the drive, I nearly fell asleep at the wheel. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, this would be really easy to fall asleep right now. I mean, there was no traffic on the the road. Autopilot was doing a fantastically fine job. And it's not just that I was being less careful. On the contrary, I was still being super attentive, super alert. The problem was that because I didn't have anything to do, psychologically, I was just getting lazy and lazy- becomes sleepy and sleepy becomes you fall asleep at the wheel and you die although again somewhat paradoxically although a Tesla that might make it easier for you to fall asleep it'll also make it easier for you to survive if you do fall asleep and so on and so forth so so, so anyway okay this is <laughs> so to bring it back now to the whole point of this article so i guess what i'm getting at here is i agree fully and i absolutely share the concern with uh, with Lance Elliott here in this article. Uh, I, I really do. I, I just, I I wonder whether it's a bit of an overly cautious academic inquiry, a study more than a real world concern. For the reasons I've said, I, I just don't see it being the case that only the really wealthy will acquire cars. Um, now he goes through a whole bunch of different scenarios. Uh, I'm not going to go through and unpack and digest these all for for you. I'd really encourage you to just read the article, actually. Uh, Again, it is a very good read. Um, And actually, having said that, why don't you give it a read and then shoot me your thoughts on it, and then we can discuss this in a subsequent episode if it makes sense. Um, And so I guess let me just leave you with that question then, right, which is, do you think or not that that self-driving cars, fully autonomous cars, level four, level five cars, will in fact just be... Extremely elaborate, fancy playthings for the hyper wealthy, the super rich. Um, and actually, before before closing out this segment, real quick, there is just one thing I wanted to address here. I'm just looking through the article real quick. Something about yeah. So so there was this concern actually that 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 autonomous cars, of course, could also end up being, you know, a mechanism to cause people to effectively rebel directly against the, the super wealthy who do have these autonomous cars, right? Things like mm, jumping in front of them, you know, pedestrians jumping in front of the autonomous car it's because they know the autonomous car won't hit them, right? Or basically road rage against autonomous cars or, I guess by implication, the, the occupants within, you know, cutting them off, getting in front of them, slowing your car down, otherwise impeding them. All uh, well, because you know the autonomous car is not going to hit you, the pedestrian, or it's not going to hit your own car. Simply put, there's a concern that if autonomous vehicles are only the playthings of the super wealthy, the super hyper rich, then people are going to rebel more against this. Against this, there's going to be more road rage. There's going to be more of a reason to get upset. Again, I I just don't really see that happening. Okay, so to be fair, I do see the possibility. I I can imagine the increased road rage, people darting their cars in front of autonomous vehicles. I mean, a quick solution is what I've said forever and ever and ever, which is you just don't enable, you, you don't allow autonomous cars, at least level four, to drive mixed with regular cars. You have dedicated lanes only for them. Again, treat them as virtual trains. That avoids that eventuality. It avoids that scenario entirely, right? Insofar as pedestrians jumping in front of the cars, first, refer back to what I just said about dedicated lanes for autonomous cars only that are physically separated if necessary. But realistically, I I just don't see that happening either. I mean, people are not going to throw themselves in front of cars as a matter of course because they're going to assume the cars are going to see them stop. It's just not going to happen. Will some people do it? Sure. Is it going to be routine? Will most people do this? No. Alternatively, failing all of the above scenarios that I've outlined, whether it's cutting off autonomous cars, if they are indeed mixed with human driven cars, if it's pedestrians jumping in front of autonomous cars just to mess with them, well, then I guess this is what we have law enforcement officers for. Just, you know, we're going to have new laws on the books, we're going to have stricter regulations, stricter enforcement, and that's all there is to it. I I just, I, I, I know I've said this. Really, since beginning this podcast back in what, February of 2018, I I just I, I really and this kind of this kind of dovetails neatly with everything I've said in the past about the trolley paradox, I just really don't believe that that these sorts of dilemmas are the the rocket science, as it were. The real challenges here, the only real challenges we have are indeed the cars themselves, the hardware, the software, and of course the regulatory aspect, the, the legal aspects, right? So so making sure these things can be can be properly regulated both through the spec to their development, their testing, their deployment. I, I don't think all these other issues, which I think I'm going to call, shall we say, social issues, really. The ways in which society initially shuns and then tries to deal with and ultimately eventually accepts autonomous cars just an ordinary everyday part of life. I and mean, we, we've had similar things in the past with all new technologies. This isn't any different. Well, it's different in Huh, I guess it's different in degree, but I would argue it's not really different in kind. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a correct way of saying it. But uh, anyway, all right, today's episode is going on a bit too long. So let me wrap this up, get to the third segment, and we'll call it a day. All right, well, to close out things today, just a quick mention of Tesla. Huh, I say that and I realize I don't do too many episode segments on Tesla. And I'm thinking back on it now, that, that that was kind of by design. I didn't want this podcast to to kind of seem like a Tesla only podcast. Um so I really kind of nit nitpick on what I what I talk about when I do discuss Tesla. Um anyway, they've started sort of started retrofitting certain of their cars with hardware level 3 uh version 3 uh for those of you who don't know if you missed my episode on Tesla autonomy day, um do give it a listen. Uh just go to com, scroll down or do a search for Tesla autonomy day, I guess. Um this was announced a while back and really uh, is arguably the most revolutionary breakthrough that Tesla have promised um it's the it's the upgrade from the current hardware version two point five and its biggest selling point is that it's a whopping twenty one times more powerful more capable than anything they've done before so I say they've started deployment uh, unless I'm missing something here it looks like they've only actually done this to one customer's car somewhere in Santa uh what is it Santa Barbara I think in Santa Barbara yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Tesla Santa Barbara, that's correct. Um, and, and here's the thing though, is, and the reason why it's a big deal, hardware version three is because what Elon said was that this is the tipping point where everything going forward for full, well, he says for full level five self-driving becomes possible because apparently, so, so up until this point in time, uh, the capability was limited By both the hardware and the software, right? So, so the hardware 2.5 wasn't sufficient to reach level four, let alone level five, nor was the software. Well, now apparently with hardware version three, things are no longer going to be hardware limited. It's going to be a software thing only. Put another way, um, now that the hardware is where it needs to be, Tesla can then focus solely on the software stack and really fine tuning it, getting it Right so that, well, again, as Elon says, in a year or two, well, we should have fully autonomous Teslas on the road, regulations permitting, of course. I I don't, huh, I, I believe that they're going to have it eventually, I, I, I'm, I, I, I don't believe it's going to occur in a year or two, I would say at least three to five years, but I, I do believe they will eventually succeed in this, yes. Um... Here's the interesting thing, though, and this is, I think, really important to note. So, so as you, as many of you know, I've been listening to this podcast uh, really from the earliest days. And by the way, I just got a message today from someone on LinkedIn uh, saying that they just caught up with all of my episodes from the very beginning, having just recently discovered the podcast. So, wow, that's uh, – I should say it's not the first time I've heard this, but every time I do hear this, it blows my mind to actually sit through every single episode and, You know, just to catch up. Thank you very much for that. You know who you are. Um, one one of the things i've talked a lot about in the past is the is the need to learn as much as we can from the aviation space right so hence my arguments in the past for the need for an FAVA to complement the FAA and to really learn and borrow everything that we've that we can from how the FAA has gone about making flying the safest mode of transport in the world by far and indeed arguably by many metrics the safest place you can be in the world in within the globe of the atmosphere is in a modern jetliner at cruising altitude um, so so one of those things, of course, is redundancy, right? So you've got to have double, triple, quadruple re- redundant systems on aircraft. And obviously, with autonomous cars, we're going to need a similar thing. Well, it turns out that hardware version 3 will be the first. Uh, it'll be the first time that Tesla has actually made two completely redundant um, uh, pieces of hardware here. In this case, the actual entire uh, circuit board of hardware version 3. There's going to be two of these in the vehicles. They're going to be completely separate. one another totally isolated so if anything should fail on one it will not in any way affect the other and the car will be completely fine to drive on its own with just one system so this is a really really great step in the right direction and it's an obvious one of course the only big question that remains though and and really i unless i've just missed it i haven't seen it talked about much is how is this going to affect costs going forward i mean obviously this is going to be a non-trivially expensive part of the vehicle i would assume so yeah how does this you know, how does this scale? How, how does this, or how do they recoup their costs going forward? I, I, I guess obviously they've got this figured out. Nevertheless, it's it's worth asking, right? Because so so one of the arguments that's been thrown my way in the past was yes, markets. You know, it's, it's one thing for say Boeing and Airbus to build in three and four layers of redundancy in all their critical systems; they can kind of swallow those costs. Um. But but for a consumer automobile company to do the same, that that would just be punitively expensive um well i don't know i mean either it's true in which case we can't have redundant systems and autonomous cars in which case we're never going to have autonomous cars full stop or it's not true and tesla's about to prove everybody wrong once again all right well that is a wrap for today and indeed for the week it is friday so have a wonderful weekend ahead i'll see you back here on tuesday thank you so much for listening until next time bye bye